Hello and welcome to this, my first series of podcasts, Conversations on the Menopause. Conversations with real women like you and I about our experiences, what's worked, what hasn't worked and our hopes and aspirations for the future. Hello and welcome to my guest today, Jane Hoff, a retired specialist nurse with a special interest in women's health. Hi, Jane. Hello, Louise. Thanks for coming along today. It's a pleasure. I think we're both boiling hot, aren't we today? We're really hot. It's really, really hot. And I'm moving around so much. So we're here today to talk about all things women's health. And, and I've thought we'd start by actually just clarifying what that is exactly Jane because I have an idea but I'm not sure all our listeners will. Okay so there are lots of areas um, within the NHS which is where I worked that focus on the care of women's health and therefore there's lots of opportunities for women to speak to a nurse at any stage in her life about the menopause So I feel the preparation for the challenges that face us um, in later life should actually start as a teenager. And awareness, especially of pelvic floor health, which is what I specialised in um, uh, within my specialism, uh, should begin at school. Wow, that's really interesting. That's quite profound, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. And especially because I've got twin daughters that are coming up for 13 now and they're just starting their journey into into womanhood if you like and and I tried to have quite open conversations with them um much to their horror I would say (laughs) at the moment yes yeah but but I do feel that we have got a plethora of experienced nurses with within our NHS in all different departments who have knowledge of um, different areas of women's health. And we should use all, all opportunities to access this information. Absolutely. I mean, we, we know there's a plethora of information on um, social media these days. But I think if you've got a woman, uh, a, a, sorry, a nurse with a specialist knowledge, or a physiotherapist, or a GP, or anybody within the NHS team who actually has an interest in women's health, then if you can access that, it's a goldmine. I think that's a really interesting point, you know, because um, from my own experience, I've gone into my GP practice and I've asked and said, what is it? I need to speak to a GP who has this special interest in, I can't remember what it was now. And um, I think it was actually for when my daughter um, was getting diagnosed with um, uh, special needs. Um, and I did specifically say to the practice, can I speak to the GP with a special interest in paediatrics? And yeah. I think what we tend, what we don't realise as um, users of the NHS is that actually you can go in and you can request that and that your actual, the people who are caring for you will have a special interest in different areas of medicine. And I think that's really what we should be utilising more and more. That's right. And sexual health awareness and access to services has increased within the recent years. You know, you look back 20 years and there was one clinic a week that 
you, you, you shuffled into hoping that nobody would see you. These days, it's far more accepted that it's um, a healthy thing to do to attend a sexual health awareness clinic. And um, it's an excellent opportunity to educate young women whose only experience of the menopause is their mums complaining of how hot it is all the time and being so forgetful. I mean, I don't know about yourself, Louise, but I've got three children and whenever I speak to one of them, it is, oh, and the dog. And it's, um, it's uh, um, oh, Robert, uh, no, my, um, Faye, no, Alfred, um, Faye. You know, and it's that sort of thing, this forgetfulness you get, you know, it's a real, yeah, <laughs> challenge. Yeah. And, and they're just how laughing at you. And I suppose our get out is that one day they'll experience it, won't they? So, <laughs> yeah, most definitely. And I think you're right in what you said, that even if you've got sons or daughters, they will have experience of it in some degree, because if it's not actually the daughters that are going through it, it'll be the partners of your sons and things. That's that right. Yeah. Go through yeah. it as well. And I think that's an interesting conversation, isn't it? But for men to be aware of as well, not just yeah. just women's, um, so it's, it's not just yeah. a women's issue, is it? It's a whole person, family yeah. community yeah, yeah. issue, if you like. So I think going back to your, your original question, what, what do women's health nurses do? I think all nurses, um, whatever department they work in, have some interest in women's health and it's accessing the right place at the right time, isn't it? Um, and, and they are there to work holistically to enable you to achieve your optimum health, whatever age you are. Yeah. And, and the menopause can, can start very, very early in some women. You know, Absolutely. perimenopause can start, you know, before the 30 in some women. Yes. Yeah. And I think, and that, and I think that's something that's not discussed either, is it? No, really? no. It's hidden. No, it is. Um, and for those women, they just, they actually think they're going mad. You know when when these symptoms start um so it's important that we actually get the information out there somehow yeah so that and they're aware of it and can access the right people that's it and i think if you can get as much information from different sources as well i think it just it's often delivered in a different way that's but, right and i think sometimes for me at the moment the conversation for me has been very medicalized and um and can what I've thought has been a little bit scary at times, um, yeah. especially when we're sort of talking about the, the risks to, card to our cardiovascular health and our brain health and things. I think that that can be a very, very scary sort of discussion that we're having. Um, yeah. So, and I wonder if sometimes that might turn people off a little bit and, um, <laughs> no I agree I've always been a head in the sand person you know when it comes to issues around cardiac <laughs> and my weight <laughs> but yes I know I know what you mean yes so I think if we could have as many different conversations yes. then, then that will open up um lots of different avenues for people to get the get that information that they need in, yes. a, in a format that sort of aligns with with them as an individual. Yes, it's all about, and it is all about individual care. No, no, no two women experience the menopause the same. No, you know, it's very individual to the person. It is. Yeah. So, so I suppose my next question was when you were saying about accessing a special health nurse, 
you, you can also see um, women's health physios and things. And I wondered if you thought there was a difference in the role between the two specialisms or do they yes. sort of overlap, do you think? There's, there's definitely an overlap in the work the nurses and physiotherapists do, but it's important for a nurse to know when it's appropriate to um, hand over the care to a specialist physiotherapist when when that you know when that's right yeah. because they especially physiotherapists have far more knowledge around the pelvic area than a nurse does and understanding um, and they have the equipment available to them to support treatment whereas you know um, I mean I was a bladder and bowel specialist nurse so um, I, I work basically with women weeing and pooing and men um, later on it was with children you know and that's my specialism I work with children but whilst um, when I first went into the team I did work with adults and so my area was about we and poo but it really is um, a huge thing when you're hitting the menopause you know um, so yes, you, to your question about the, is there a, an overlap with physio? Very definitely, but it's a, you, the nurse has to know when to hand over to the, because I feel she's specialist in her area of knowledge, but hasn't got the skills that a physio has. No. Yeah. And I suppose it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's, it's knowing if you're experiencing some changes down down below whether it is an, a, a nurse or a physio that you need to see um and how you sort of make that distinction and i suppose it would it be a conversation with your gp first to sort of say this is what i'm experiencing who do i who do i need to see mm. i've actually found that it's far easier to access the specialist nurses in gp services right and and quite often they have got that specialist knowledge around that subject. Yeah. Whereas a GP knows um, a little about a whole lot. Yes. The nurses know, if, if you're going to see a nurse um, regarding urinary incontinence or um, changes down below, or if, if for your smear, for example, or if, you know, for other sexual health issues, then, she will have far more knowledge of that um, than the GP these days. They are, yeah. they are trained up to, to actually have experience in that. Yeah. And I think they are trained to a really high standard. They are. Which I don't think people really appreciate either. I think no, people potentially not. think you have to see a GP for everything. Whereas, as you say, the specialist um, allied health professionals yes. have a very specific knowledge area yes. um which which we need really need to utilize actually and i think it's it's interesting isn't it what you said because my own experience of um i've had experience of a women's health physio and that was after um my son was born and i had a prolapse a vaginal prolapse and i as a physio myself you know I was doing everything I thought a young mother would do at 35, you know, squeezing my pelvic floor and, and thinking I was doing it properly until I actually needed to go see the physio and, this, and the physio examined me properly and actually I wasn't doing it completely right at all. And no, it's actually yeah. having that feedback that really made such, such a massive difference. 
that's right. And when I mentioned about the physios having the specialist equipment, it is the biofeedback um, equipment they've got that, yes. that can actually tell you whether you're squeezing your muscles in the right direction or actually pushing them and causing more damage, which yes. a lot, which so many people do. Yes. And it's really hard to tell somebody um, how to do they used to call them Kegel exercises, didn't they? But a yeah. pelvic floor exercise, it's hard to actually describe it to somebody by just um, explaining it to them. Yeah. If you've got them attached to a machine with um, probes on that can actually tell the um, tenacity of the muscles and when you're tensing and when you're relaxing, it, it's, it's a far better tool and and you you suddenly think right i understand that i can i can do that yeah no you don't need to be attached to it forever you just get yeah. that feeling and you know okay i get this now yeah. yeah yeah and it is definitely that isn't it it's definitely like you say biofeedback is a really really great name for it because that's exactly what it does it gives you it that does. feedback yeah. and it yeah. gives you that sense of you feel how it should feel that's that you right. can't sort of find any other way and to be fair it made a massive massive difference to me because i haven't had a problem with it since no. you know my son's like 17 now yeah. and um so i think um when we talk about pelvic floor, I think, yeah, we talk about pelvic floor, don't we, in terms of its effect on menopause, but we don't actually say what, what we need to do down there or, no. or how to, you know. And so I'm just going back to my first statement, which is this should start in schools and teenagers yeah. should be taught pelvic floor exercises. It's not something that should arrive just because you've had a baby. Because some women, yeah. let's face it, don't have children, they choose not to. Yeah. but they may still have problems yes yeah and i think as well it's all, all useful to think about sort of how our urinary system works when we age and things as well because i know i first met you when my daughter again came to see you and if i'm really honest the 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 sort of the how the system where it's a really complex system isn't it but the takeaway for me at the time uh, as a mother was she just needs to drink more water. Oh my <laughs> goodness. <laughs> she needs to take more water, drink more water. And she did. And it absolutely, but do you know, at that time, I did sort of think to myself, this is really interesting because it was something I'd never heard before. And it did, I then did think, well, actually, when I'm treating older people, and older ladies who are wanting to go to the toilet all the time and perhaps they're older and they don't move as much and then they don't drink as much because they don't want to get to the bathroom or they can't get to the bathroom in time it becomes a really vicious circle so for me it was really interesting and quite an eye-opener actually to think about yeah. as we age there I think there's a tendency not to drink as much water as we we need to do you know it's because as an older person if you do start to have urinary incontinence the first thing that older person is going to think, oh gosh, I can't drink as much. I've got to stop drinking. So I stop actually having these accidents, these, these wee accidents. It's, it is actually the opposite that's true. You know, a bladder is designed to hold um, lots of nice weak urine um, quite well. But if that urine becomes concentrated and um, we're drinking, things like fizzy drinks, caffeinated, alcoholic, or strong citric juices, um, 
this causes the bladder to be twitchy and start contracting without our knowledge. It just does it on its own because it just wants to get rid of that um, fluid inside it that's, that's really, um, what's the word? It antagonizes, there's another word though, it's irritant, thank you. Uh, you didn't say anything though. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's an irritant to the bladder wall. And so the bladder just contracts and gets rid of it. And this is why people start wetting. Now they start wetting and um, yeah, you know, or they're up to the toilet very, very frequently and especially at night if this is happening. And then they're prone to accidents. You know, if we're talking about the older people, they, they're, they're at risk of falling and then of course, inevitably admission to hospital, which can all be avoided by some timely advice in the right place. By the right person. By the right person. Goodness yes, me. Gosh. I know. And such a and such a simple thing. You know, you yeah. said you said I just went on about drinking. I always I still do, you know, from from children, teenagers, right up to you know, end of life. Because when people go into hospital and they're confused, you often find it's because they're not hydrated. So yeah, and, and as well, and I think as you say, it's interesting to think about the, the effect of, of constipation and things on your bladder function as well, because yes, um, you know, that and that and not just about your bladder function, but the effect of constipation on how we absorb our medications and things. It is just Const so so constipation is huge in this country. It is. Um 30 percent of all children are constipated at any one time. That's massive, absolutely massive. Um, and yes, it needs treating and you can't just treat it with diet and fluids alone. It has got to be correctly treated else it leads um, further on in life to complications. So that again then ties in with what you said about educating younger yeah. children yeah. at school about their pelvic floor and about their bowel function. And, it is, yeah. And that impacts on your bladder function and it's all yeah. such a complex system, really, that's so interlinked, it but it's fundamental to our well-being as a person. It is, and especially to teenagers. You know, a teenager who suddenly starts wetting themselves or pooing themselves is absolutely disastrous when some timely advice can actually... And it only takes, say, a teacher to say, you can't go to the toilet in school, and they all think, can't drink then. Can't, you know I've got to stop drinking and then it's a then a downward spiral because you know the bladder um the urine in the bladder gets concentrated the bladder gets more overactive it starts twitching it just leaks urine gosh yeah yes me and it is and it is sort of I think that is a, a holistic wellness approach isn't it it is it is and I think that's something that as men, so these are the habits that we'll take through life. And then as we become menopause or our metabolism will slow down and things as yeah. well. And then it all will have an impact. It is. And I, I know we've drifted from the original question of women's health physio, you know, is there an overlap? But um, when I worked in the bladder and bowel service, which was a community-based resource, um, and it supported people with all sorts of problems of incontinence um, and challenges with weeing and pooing. And, and we were very, very, very busy. So there's a huge need out there. But our focus um, was to improve the continence rather than manage it with products, pads. Yes. Um, and I feel the explosion 
of mass-produced pads and pull-ups on the shelves of supermarkets to manage the, the leakage of wee and poo make it seem an acceptable and, and inevitable thing to happen as we age. And yeah. it's not. It's really not. There are other things on the market to improve our pelvic health. And like you said, the biofeedback um, with physiotherapists, you can actually buy those online. You know, for somebody that just wants to, that hasn't got a problem, obviously, if you've got a prolapse, if you've got symptoms, you need to seek specialist advice. But if you just want to keep your pelvic floor firm, because when you're a teenager, a nurse came in and said, it's really important because, I mean, let's face it, the pelvis is just a bottomless bucket, isn't it? With two legs attached. It is. <laughs> and everything below it is held up by muscle. And yeah. so they might think of that and say, okay, so a nurse told me I've got to keep all those muscles exercised, but I know I can get one of these machines to help me do that as I'm getting into my thirties and things are getting, you know, I'm, I'm getting a few symptoms. I'll get one of those and I'll try it. If they're aware of it, you know, that stops them going to that shelf and picking a packet of pads up and just managing it that way. Because that was that was one of my questions was, for me, there does seem to be this assumption that as we get a little bit older, that we, we should almost accept that actually we should be leaking, that, you know, it's not uncommon for us to leak a little bit and I'll just put my fancy pads on and my fancy knickers now and, and that's okay, I'll be able to just carry on, whereas actually, you know, you they, know talk, they talk about the, the oops moment being normal. Well, actually, no, it's not. It yeah. really isn't. And, and we can do things to stop to stop it happening. Yes. Yeah. And I think and it's I've said in one of the previous podcasts, we, I think it was with my mum and we said, you know, you get what you accept, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we need to know that we don't actually have to accept that leaking is is um, a natural part of, of an aging. Getting older. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, as we age, skin does lose its elasticity and its um, and its tone, and it makes sense that um, everything starts to sag, especially around our bladders, bowels, and our vaginas. But you know, um, I remember teaching back in the 1980s how to do pelvic floor exercises um, after childbirth, and it was only after childbirth, you know, even even as a midwife, because well, I did midwifery for for 20 years, but as a midwife. I, before I did midwifery, I had no idea what a pelvic floor exercise was and, mm. and how to manage, you know, changes yeah. in a woman's body. So, yeah, I, I, I think these days we have far more opportunity to access information and we should be doing it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Get as much information as we can. So, Jane, I... I wanted to ask you what your experience of the menopause was. We were talking before <laughs> and we said <laughs> we said a bit about getting people's names wrong, including the dog in there. And the dog is a beautiful dog. And he is a member <laughs> of the family. <laughs> he <Not> is. <laughs> so, you know, I, I actually think I've been very lucky. And I think, you know, we are all individual going through the menopause, aren't we? That's yeah. what I said previously. It's very a very individual thing, but I think I've been lucky because not intentionally, um, my third child Faye arrived unexpectedly 
and definitely not planned, but such a gift and joy. Um, but she arrived at the age of 42. Um, and I feel that actually um, delayed my menopause. Because okay. my mum went through a menopause when she was 35. Right. You know, um, and I know 42 isn't classed as a late pregnancy now, but 20 years ago it was, you know. Yeah. And maybe naturally women having children later is actually going to delay menopauses later. Uh, I, I don't know. I, and I, I certainly haven't got research to prove that. No. Just my experience. Um, you know, my periods, I, I'm 62 now and I, I was having periods until 12 months ago. Right. And I actually feel that that was because I had later pregnancies I mean I had Faye at 42 I actually was pregnant twice again I had miscarriages but I I did have two more pregnancies and so up to when I was you know 50 55 I was yeah still functioning <laughs> now I know people say some of people say their periods stop before the age of you know 45 50 yeah so we're all individual but yeah. my but coming back to my experience um I suppose I manage being hot all the time by the use of fans um, and I don't get this really severe heat that people talk about where they start dripping sweat. I've never had that. Right. I just feel it come up and then go again. I don't know. Maybe I'll develop it. Maybe that will come. But I've, I've been reassured by my specialists people who see me that I should be through the menopause now and this is you know right. so maybe I have been one of the lucky ones and oh. just come through it yes I'm forgetful yes I'm hot um yes I get very very frustrated and anxious I think anxiety is something we don't talk a lot about yeah. um and I think it is a major symptom of menopause for all right. sorts of reasons you know, as you get older, you start to disappear, don't you? I don't, yeah. Yeah. Not even told, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you start to, and I, I think there's an anxiety attached to that. Um, so I suppose I'm a more anxious person than I was when I was younger. Um, I suppose the biggest thing for me in what, what now I know was my perimenopause. Um, totally didn't realize it at the time because I was having full periods I was bleeding quite heavily all, all this going on so I thought I was just yeah I didn't realize it was a perimenopause but were, were, were migraines right and I got very severe migraines and I was still trying to work whilst having those yes and it was a trip to a GP and advice from a friend actually that got me the right treatment for that so okay. so all in all I've um I've actually done okay getting through yeah. the menopause, I feel. Um, it's nice to hear. You've got to laugh at it, haven't you? The, the forgetful. <laughs> if you can embrace it, I think that's... Yeah, that's you've got to option, embrace it? it. I mean, forgetfulness is just funny, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> like, like I said, my children howl laughing at me. But I just know that one day, you know, unless, unless um, we come up with a solution for all women, um, to glide through the menopause without these symptoms. And we may do, there's research yeah. going on, isn't there? Um, yeah. But if not, they'll experience it. Yeah. And then I'll be laughing. 
<laughs> I had an interesting thought and you've just touched on it there and my interesting thought was actually should we be educating women a lot sooner and I was sort of thinking in our 30s so that we will be preparing our bodies for the changes that were on its way and whether that might impact on, on our symptoms and things but I think after talking to you we probably need to start maybe a little bit earlier than that. We do, we do but don't you find that when you are that age you just you, you, your hands over your ears going la 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 because you just want to go out and get drunk and have a party party and and, and actually not think about getting older and no. you know but yes I do agree it should education should start a lot earlier yeah 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 and do you think that's that's our takeaway message for, for I today so <laughs> from from my point of view regarding especially around bladder and bowel health it is start very early and the drinking is essential. I, I just, I, I can't bang on about that enough that we, you know, as women, we should be drinking at least two liters of water a day. Yeah. And a lot of people don't actually like the taste of water, do they? No, but no, they don't. I know we can't, can we advertise on here? I'm, I'm not, I, I have no attachment to this. Um, no, no, neither do I. For this firm, <laughs> so I don't know. You'll have to edit it out if, if not. But there's something that I think when I was doing my practice, when I was working in the NHS, would have been a game changer for me. And it's something called an air up bottle. And right. you just put plain water into the bottle and this capsule on top of it. But the smell of the capsule actually tastes the water. It's funny, my daughter's just said, Ava's just said to me this week, once again, one of these, you can smell it and it makes you taste me. Exactly yep. that. You can, you can <laughs> test Coca-Cola, lemonade, cherryade, all, all these flavours that people actually like to drink. You're actually yep. drinking plain water and your brain is fooling you because you're smelling the actual flavour. So if that gets that people funny? drinking more water, I'm <laughs> for it. <laughs> What do they do with like vodka and things? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure they've got that yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fantastic. That's yeah. amazing. Because that's exactly what she said this week. Isn't that strange? It is strange, but um yeah, it's yeah. the power of advertisement, isn't it? Um but yes, well, it goes back again to our brains are amazing things that we just don't realise how amazing our brains are and what our, and utilise our brains to the maximum. That's way. right. And that's an interesting thing, Louise, because, you know, I, working in the NHS, you become very, um, you do you, you, medical treatment and, and treatment for this and you can treat that and treat, you know, actually um, the yoga, the meditation, all these alternative therapies are there to help us through this time in our lives aren't they Absolutely. and yeah. and i think yes we should be accessing yeah those as well i think it's finding again what i'd said earlier it's about what aligns to us isn't it it's doing yes. what makes us feel good that's right and um, makes us feel happy and 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 able to thrive in the menopause that's right for me it's chocolate yes me too <laughs> And the vodka and the coke. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jane. It's been lovely talking to you. It's been lovely thank chatting you. to you, Louise. Thank you. Great, thank you. You have been listening to Conversations on the Menopause with me, Louise Halliday. 
For a positive approach to your hormonal transition, please visit my website, atreraaromatics.com. That's Atrera, O-T-R-E-R-A, where we celebrate the nature of womanhood. You can also find me across various social media platforms. Thank you for listening and please feel free to contact me with any questions or to join the conversation. I really hope you'll join me again next time.